0: Classic. <laughs> Classic.
1: <laughs> Either you just took a really deep toke or you have bronchitis. I have, one of the two. I,
0: I, it's the latter. Ah. I don't know if the former would help with the bronchitis. Probably not.
1: Really no, nah, I would not. not know. No, no. I'd stick with the edibles no. at this at this point.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's, that's probably right. Oh, bronchitis. Yay me. Yeah, good for you. Mm-hmm. But but yet we're still doing this oh, of because that's the kind of people we, we are, are. dedicated, dedicated to our hypnologists.
1: I am willing to work through your illness well, I, for our people. You know
0: what? That yeah. says a lot about you right there. Yeah, and see? Mm-hmm. This is what I keep saying, and everybody keeps chuckling about it. Quite a guy. You are quite yep. a guy. Yep. Oh, my. So, classic. In this yep. episode, back in whenever it was – we were... Is this brought to you by the number 12 and the letter S? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Well, th- well, this was this was one of my favorite Instagrams because it was the, the Brewer Lingo Bingo post. Oh, that's right. So we wanted to talk about things that when you walk into a brewer, um, as a hop grower who doesn't necessarily understand the brewing process, you've got to be able to at least – I don't want to say fake your way through, but it's what I mean. You need to be able to fake your way through. You know, Right. Uh the, so we, we you you give sort of a a crash course in cold crashing and whirlpool mm-hmm. and hot side and and when the brewer says well when when would I use these or how would I use these you don't go uh, uh you put them in the beer, put to beer. <laughs> just open the top of the garbage bag and dump them <laughs> yeah. Yeah. is that how beer is made? You bring them your garbage bag of hops. They put, exactly. they open up a packet of bread yeast from the supermarket from those three little packets you get. Oh, yeah, Fleischmann's, mm-hmm. you you, bet. you dump that in, and you pour some water in the garbage bag, and you shake it all about, and, and then you have beer. I think that's how brewing the bag works. Yeah. That's, that's, it's actually not that far off, is it? You're right, oh, right, exactly. It's kind of scary.
1: No, the brewer lingo was important because, again, as we were finding <clears> – <throat> still finding – a lot of growers just don't know the words and and it's like how do you how do you fake it till you make it and this this episode is all about giving people that the, the minimum required uh-huh. <laughs> uh voc- vocabulary yep. in order to fake it uh until you get comfortable with the brewing process and just part of it's is is all about not sounding like an idiot and another part of it is you got to know your customer and their processes you do so Yeah, I mean that's that that's it. That's really it. And in order to do that, you need to communicate with a common
0: vocabulary, or at least be able to smile and nod properly when they say things. Mm -hmm. And this is a great episode for listening to in the car on your way to a brewer visit, just to because you refresh yourself on I don't know six or eight different standard pieces of terminology. It's like okay, okay. When they say this, I say this. All right, right. Do the dance.
1: You know, one thing, Greg, that I think is really underappreciated and and frankly confusing to a lot of growers is all of the lingo that brewers use in their process, and specifically around hop usage. And so we've been talking a lot about growers selling to brewers and sort of engaging on their turf and, and talking their language. But what happens when the brewers are speaking a completely different language? I thought we should talk a little bit about that and maybe give give growers some insight into what the hell brewers are
0: talking about when they say these crazy things. It makes a lot of sense because I know I make fun of you all the time for some of these ridiculous uh, farming terms you come up with and uh, horticulture terms that I'm convinced you just make up as you go along. But a lot of brewing terminology has that similar um, that similar feel where okay, I know you're saying something real and I know that my hops are going to be part of that process, but I'm just going to smile and nod here and tell you how good they smell.
1: So I thought, you know, I made a list of, of hop-specific interactions with brewers in, in the process and all the different names they call them so that, so that maybe we could just share those and uh, and give people an idea of what, what the heck's going on. So this was not intended to be an overall or an overview of, the brewing process. This is intended just to talk specifically about hops in the brewing process and what are all these things. So,
0: Sure. The things a brewer might bring up with you when you're discussing your hops and you need to have some general feeling and understanding for how they're using your product and what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, totally. So it's like if you were talking to a brewer trying to sell them hops and they say, well, where's the best place to use these, do you think? And then you like, uh in beer. In the beer. Yes, I know in the beer, but where do I put them in at at 15 minutes or 60 minutes or do I put them in at knockout and what does all that mean? And I know some of our our listeners are beer geeks and and some of them are probably even brewers. So so this may be a little bit redundant for them, but for those that aren't and they're strictly farmers, they got to know this stuff. So
0: Sure. And it may be surprising for some of the brewers to hear the things that growers may not know about the brewing process. When you live and breathe something every day, you get to the point where you sort of assume, well, people know what this means. They know what this means. You're in the beer industry, but you're in the farming industry. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have this knowledge.
1: Right. So maybe I'll just start with a general overall process. So if people in their mind's eye, right, can picture three boxes— So just three boxes in your mind, box, you know, left center and right boxes. So the left box would be what we call the hot side. So that's where all of the the malt is going in and you're making like sugar, sugar liquid, sugar water out of it. That's where all the boiling's taking place. And that's where hops are being added for bittering. So we call those hot side additions. And when brewers talk about Well, I put my bittering hops in at 60 minutes and at 20 minutes and at 45 minutes or whatever. What does that mean? So what they're doing is they're not saying I'm putting my hops in. If they say I'm putting them in at 60, that doesn't mean they're putting them in at at 60 minutes into the boil from like from the start. They're actually looking at how long they're going to let this thing boil for and they're counting backwards. So they're saying these hops are going to be in there for 60 minutes until I'm done boiling that number is a measure of how close to the end of the boil you're adding your hops. And that's not intuitive.
0: No, not at all. Right.
1: (laughs) So uh, I remember years and years and years back in the dark ages, uh, when I first started looking at this, I'm like, "What what, how is it? So wait a minute, you're, you're adding at 60 and then you're adding at 45. And then you're adding it at 20. I don't get it. Shouldn't that be the other way around? No. It's because they're counting from the end of the boil backwards.
0: Ah, Ah. Yes. If you're following a recipe and you read that, you say, oh, I missed something. Yeah. I should have done this ages ago.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it seems flipped around. And that's all about having hops in at different times to boil longer or shorter in order to get the alpha acids to isomerize and and become bitter, which is really the only way to do it uh, in a conventional brewing process is to get them in there, boil the hell out of them. And some of the aroma compounds, like, uh, you know, you love it when I make up words, some of the aromas, uh, the ones that are responsible for sort of the herbal and dank, as much as I love that word, character of hops require a a lot of energy. So you got to boil the shit out of them in order to get them to be aromatic. I'm still stuck on isomerize, but... Isomerize. I know you are. You just summarized. work it out. Just, it's, spell it phonetically. You'll get it. got to carry the two. Hold mm-hmm. on. Right, okay. yep. So then we have bitter hop juice, sweet bitter juice, right, at the end of the boil. So that's in box one, the left side box. So if you're... Then we go into the middle box, and the middle box is another step where we... There's several things happening. We are... So you got a bunch of solid material right in this juice right now you've got hop debris you've got probably some some malt debris in there and we want to separate all that out before it goes into the fermenter we don't want any of those floaties in there that particulate stuff because that holds on to liquid and it clogs up filters and all good kinds of stuff like that right now it's hot right now we haven't cooled it down generally there's a separation step and in many larger breweries, it goes through a whirlpool. Literally, they, f- they pump the liquid and force it to form a whirlpool in a tank. And that whirlpool, through centripetal force, separates out particulates, causes it to drop, forms into the center of the, of the whirlpool. And so it's like, a, it's like a pre-filtration step. So when you hear breweries talk about whirlpool, sometimes they add hops at whirlpool because the temperatures drop just enough that you're not going to get any or very little isomerization, not going to get bitter on you, but you're adding a little extra heat in order to help with the extraction of all the oils and aroma compounds. There's also a step in that box, which they call knockout or flame out, which is literally where they stop adding heat. So some brewers don't whirlpool. Some brewers just go directly to filter, which is pumping through an actual filter. The step of knockout or flame out is when they turn the heat off. So it's still hot, but you're not actively boiling or, or adding energy. So
0: now when you say some brewers don't go through that step, is it some varieties that you're brewing don't need to go through that step, or it's more of a of a brewing technique that some folks use or don't? It's a technique. So
1: the equipment's really gotta be set up for it. If you don't have, you know, pumps designed to what they call counterflow pumps where they suck the liquid out of the tank and then shoot it back in sort of tangentially in order to force it to whirlpool, then you can't separate by whirlpool. You have to separate floaties in your in your wart by some other means that's usually like a physical filter. So that's that sort of middle box is where you know knockout flame outs when they shut the heat off, whirlpool may or may not happen depending on their on their situation. but uh, the idea here is that hops can be added during this time frame specifically for aroma contributions and not so much for bittering contributions. But it's not what we call dry hopping yet, because that occurs on the cold side. This is still hot, which means that you still have the opportunity to flash off and lose some of these aroma compounds just because of the heat. Then we have our third box. Now, third box is the cold side. Out of this whirlpool or whatever you've got, tank where you've got your juice, you're going to pump it, usually through a heat exchanger to drop the temperature, because you don't want to pump near boiling liquid into a fermenter and then pitch yeast because the yeast is going to die so we have to bring that temperature down quite a bit and you know you're talking you're going to go from 190 degrees fahrenheit down to 68 so and that's the temperature of the liquid that's going into the into the fermenter once it's into the fermenter now we're on the cold side we're actively not adding heat we're actually trying to control the temperature at a much lower range so on the cold side you've got fermentation and then you've got post fermentation. So you're putting your yeast in, letting it bubble and perk. You've got an opportunity to add hops at this stage as well. It's called primary. So this is the primary fermentation step. So people say, Well, yeah, I'd like to add some dry hop at in the primary. Well, A, what is dry hop and what is primary? <laughs> dry hopping, right? Is just I don't know I don't know why it's called dry hopping. Maybe somebody could tell me that. Um it's just adding more hops, whether it's whole leaf hops or it's pellets. You're just dumping more hops into the tank. But it's being done in the presence of yeast during fermentation. That can do several things. Those yeasts can actually chew up some of the aroma compounds from hops and spit out other totally different types of aroma compounds. That's a really hazy area right now, uh, no pun intended, of brewing chemistry is that yeast interaction with hops compounds we don't have a good map for that every yeast strain could produce different aroma compounds after it chews up the stuff from your hops so what you thought was going to be old lady perfume actually gets pooped out the yeast end and turns into some sort of something citrusy maybe but then you use a different yeast and the sa- everything else is the same and the aroma is different so it's a very very big gray area right now that that would be hop additions in primary make sense it does make sense. Good. Well, at least you're following. I am. So then post-fermentation. So you drain all the, the liquid off of the yeast. You let the yeast settle. And you drain the liquid off. And you can take that liquid. Sometimes it's filtered. Sometimes it isn't. And they pump it into another tank. Or it could be the same tank and they just pull the yeast off the bottom. You know, the fermenter is the big tank that's got the big cone on the bottom. Mm-hmm. see that, right? So that's designed that way, so you can pull all that yeast and stuff off the bottom and leave the liquid on the top. Or you pump that liquid into another tank, and then you're adding more hops. So this would be secondary. Sometimes they do a secondary fermentation, but it's basically the secondary transfer of the liquid. And that's where the dry hopping comes from. That's where most you see most of that happening. We're taking the yeast out of the equation for the most part. So now it's just basically, it's beer, got alcohol in it, it's got some carbonation in it. And this is uh, from, just from the natural yeast process. Then you dump a bunch of hops in there. You usually put CO2 on the system to keep the pressure up. And then you kind of what they call roust. If you ever, some brewers, old school brewers call rousting the hops. So they'll dump a bunch of hops in the, in the secondary. And that material will, depending on what type of hop you're using, pellets or cones, you need to sort of stir it a little bit. But you can't like open it up and stick a paddle in there and stir it. So they use CO2 and bubble
0: from the bottom up to the top and sort of circulate that. And this is the point where you're, correct me if I'm wrong, where you are getting into potential whole cone, wet hops, and that type of thing. That's, well, yeah. So we could, we'll back that up and talk about wet hops in
1: in this whole process. Whole cones could be used throughout this entire process. It's not a big problem. Not a, uh, some brewers won't use it because it clogs up their system. Other brewers, certainly our Aussie friends, um, are very much interested in whole cones. That's sort of one of the, their beer cultures. Um, but you can use whole cones in any of these steps. One of the things that drives me nuts about using CO2 to stir the secondary hop addition is these, these vessels are pressure vessels, right? They could turn into big bombs if you don't let the pressure off. So they got little pressure relief valves at the top, and I don't know if you've ever been into a, in a brewery, and, you know, every, and like it's quiet. Let's say it's like 9 o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, psh, it scares the living hell out of you. <laughs> and it's because that, either in the primary or in the secondary, that pressure is being released. Well, if you're using... CO2 is a great, great scrubber of hop aroma. It will scrub hop aroma out of the beer easy-peasy. And... If you're letting all that CO2 off because the pressure builds up, where's your hop aroma going? <laughs> right at the top. <laughs> exactly. And so many times, there was one brewer, a uh, good friend, who loved Galena. And Galena's a great hop. It's, it's traditionally been used as a bittering hop, but it's got this really neat mandarin orange character to it. It's subtle, so you don't have a lot to lose. And he would say, "Oh my God! I just when I come in in the morning, at, you know, in secondary, it just the brew house smells great, it smells like mandarin oranges. But I'm just not the beer is just doesn't smell like that." <laughs> well, there's a reason for that. <laughs> he's, he's he's creating a very expensive air purifier, really. air air freshener. Yeah. <laughs> air so freshener, yes. yeah, air freshener. So I'm like, well, how about dialing down your CO2 in your secondary? So well, you know, I figured if we kept the pressure really high, it would force the the aroma into the beer. You thought wrong. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no. Back off of that there, Haas. Just that one simple change absolutely got his got his Mannered Orange flavor into his beer.
0: I-, I love the idea that the brute force method is the way to go That's there. All Just absolutely. shove the aroma in.
1: Mm-hmm. Just yeah, cram it in there. So let's say you've done all your dry hopping, and this term dry hopping we can apply to any hop additions after Whirlpool. So all the cold side hop additions are considered dry hopping. Now, you'll hear this term, cold crashing. What the heck does cold crashing mean? And why is it important? We're not adding hops during the cold crash, but it's important because hop the types of hops you use can affect the relative success of cold crashing. So here's the idea, is that you're going to have all these proteins and stuff in the, in the beer f- that came over from the malt. They, they're big, big molecules, and they like to form haze so these things now you know hazy ipas those of us in the professional brewing community call that a brewing defect (laughs) but apparently everybody else loves them so that haze there's two types of haze in beer there's there's temporary haze and permanent haze and the temporary haze is formed by all of these particles that are in suspension mostly due to the energy they have just because of temperature so if we take that and take that like secondary fermenter or secondary container and like rolled it into the cooler and like dropped the temperature to like 34 degrees just the act of taking the heat out of the liquid taking the energy away causes those particulates to fall out of solution and clear clarify your beer sometimes brewers will use what they call a fining agent uh, which helps to grab onto these little particles and make them bigger so they fall out of beer the issue here is that if you use hops with very high content, and you're going to love this polyphenols. Yeah, right. Right. And these hops are usually very astringent tasting. So if they have really high polyphenol content, those polyphenols grab onto all these other um, protein fragments and stuff, but they don't drop out when you cold crash. They'll stay suspended. And the only way to get rid of them is to add more and more fining agents. Uh, Sometimes centrifusion will help, but you'll never completely get rid of it, so you'll have a hazy, hazy beer. Wheat beers are like this. Mm -hmm. Wheat has a lot of big proteins, more than barley, and the hop polyphenols can grab onto those and, and keep them in suspension. So if brewers are having issues with clarifying their beer through cold crashing, maybe it's the hops that they're using. And so that might be something for your growers to say, hey, you know what, is that a high polyphenol hop? It might be. That might be your problem. Oh, light bulb! Bing! You just helped the brewer. You made another sale. You're in Lake Flynn. There. How's that? That was a very quick rundown. <laughs> a very quick twenty-minute rundown of uh, of how hops are used in brewing and where they're
0: used. There's a lot there, and you're absolutely right. As a grower, if I can be part of that conversation with the brewer and help them understand some of these things, are are there certain hop varieties to watch for from a from a polyphenol perspective or some of the other things we've talked about
1: oh yeah absolutely my favorite hop family lineage because i mean let's face it who doesn't have a favorite hop family lineage is the brewer's gold lineage and it's the oldest lineage in north america and anything really bred off of the brewer's gold line has uh tends to have a very high polyphenol content so that would be um Nugget and Chinook and Galena and Glacier and all those things, um, they tend to be very astringent. I would say of that family, uh, you're you're looking at uh, probably Nugget as the lowest in that uh, lowest polyphenol in that family. But this is one of the rubs right now. In no pun intended. God, I'm just on fire today. Uh, <laughs> one of the rubs in hops right now is that like polyphenol content and some of these other aroma compounds aren't tested for and listed as part of the analysis. And so if there was one thing that I could get the industry to do is start reporting these because it is absolutely impactful to the brewer.
0: And that's interesting because I know that typically with hot packaging, and we didn't actually talk about this, you want to tell your brewer alpha and beta acids and cohumulum. That's all they care about is alpha and beta but you don't hear talk of polyphenol necessarily.
1: No, you don't. If you're, if you're measuring alpha and beta acids uh, through a particular technique called HPLC in the lab, high-performance liquid chromatography, then that gets you all tingly. I know you like it when I use those big words.
0: Um, I've then, got a bingo chart here. Do you? <laughs> I'm one away, so keep on rolling.
1: Keep going. So using that method to test for alpha-beta acids, you can also test for polyphenols. And so it's like, why, why aren't we doing this? Why isn't this not a thing? It drives me nuts. So, but you, you said the cohumulin word, and so you got me. You, you ground the gears already, so we have to talk about cohumulin. I talked about astringency, right? Bingo. <laughs> I talked about astringency. And there are some brewers that still believe that that astringency, to sensation, it's not really flavor, it's a sensation in your mouth, is due to cohumulone, which is a type of alpha acid. And for years, they called it a harsh bitter. So if you had a high cohumulone hop, it was going to be harsh and astringent. I am here to tell you, from the American Society of Brewing Chemists, the myth of cohumulone is exactly that. It's a myth. It's total bullshit. There is no difference in bittering. What we just our new bingo card. Here's another one: organoleptic so there's bullshit (laughs) there's no difference in sensory difference when a base beer was bittered primarily with with all of the different alpha acids nobody could tell a difference there is no impact from cohumulone in beer as a as a harsh bittering component over anything else so you can share that with your brewers and you're going to find growers you're going to find some brewers that still absolutely believe this because they read it in an article somewhere 15 years ago Uh, but we do have very good data on that from the ASBC and it does not exist that's your public service announcement for today
0: and let's be honest I mean I have a couple of homebrewing books that were written in the 70s and 80s they as science progresses sometimes you still hold to your old books Yep, exactly. So it's probably written in there.
1: Yeah. You can also look at it and say, well, look, you know, these, you know, well, hey, why don't you buy my hops from whatever hop broker salesperson comes around? And it's like, well, these are low cohumulones, so they're not going to be as harsh. Yeah, that's it. So they're looking at, you know, hey, where was there a difference? Here's a difference. Let's highlight that. Science to the rescue. So, yep,
0: that's what I know about that. So, James, what is this about? pop creep that i hear about bottles exploding things like that uh
1: how do i answer this uh, i'm not going to worry about being pc i think it's total bullshit um now there are some other folks tom shellhammer one of them brilliant brilliant researcher who you know they're looking at this issue of cans and bottles of finished beer that apparently are heavily hopped, that are exploding on shelves and whatnot, and, oh, there must be this mysterious new chemistry that's going on, and it's got to revolve around hops and adding extra sugars or doing some sort of, maybe they've, they're providing some sort of enzyme that's causing something magical to happen. Here's here's my thing. In the history of beer production, and even the history in the last 20-some years of super high-hop beer If this were a thing where extra hopping of beer, extra heavy hopping of beer, was causing some sort of re-fermentation, we would have heard about it a lot sooner than just a few years ago, and it would have been pervasive in the industry. The fact of the matter is we just don't see it. What we do know is that other practices in the brewing process can create these secondary or spontaneous refermentations like oh say dirty packaging lines where you have bacteria in there that have more of a higher ability to do these fermentations of other complex sugars that yeast don't uh, so what's more likely that we have discovered some sort of magical new hop chemistry that's never ex- we knew about before or they're just dirty dirty practices for your bingo card, there's a theory for everybody called Occam's razor. And it a sign oh, I that you know, I know is real. You know, yes. That one's real. So for those of you who don't basically Occam's razor says all things being equal when you're faced with a, a question that you don't know the answer to the simplest solution is usually the correct one. I think if you apply that in various parts of your life, you're going to find out that it's true. Most of the time. I think that's what we're dealing with here until we can definitively show, I want to see data, and I want to see us be able to recreate this chemistry in the lab. And until then, I choose to believe that this concept of hop creep is is false. Show me the data. So that's hop creep.
0: Seems like an easy thing to blame for just bad practices.
1: Yeah, totally. And again, if, if it's just been about adding more and more hops to beer, I, we've been doing this for, like I said, decades Why isn't this a bigger issue? It's not. It's been reported in a half a dozen, I don't remember, you know, but it's a relatively few cases compared to the total volume of beer brewed and 60% of which on the market is over hopped IPAs. Don't you think there would have been more issues? Mm -hmm. Or is it a fact of poor practices in production and canning where you're having, you know, introduction of other microorganisms that are causing the problem? That seems more, more likely. But you know, let's let's not point out the fact that you might have some brewers out there who are not really particularly good at what they do. Let's blame it on the raw ingredients, right? Sorry, you got me all worked up on that one. no, not quite <laughs> right.
0: That's why we're
1: here. That's why we're here. Why to get me all worked up? Because it's funny. Well, to, am I a clown
0: to you? To speak truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't answer that one either. <laughs> <laughs> So getting back – to boil this all down.
1: Uh, oh, um, nice. See, I can do it too. You can. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: getting back to how we started, I'm, I'm a grower. A brewer comes to me. We're talking. We're asking questions. Uh, I'm going to put out a very simple question. I mean the ant- – I will not accept it depends as an answer. You got it. So I've got this great crop. You know, da, 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 da. Okay, well, sh- should I add that in the hot? Should I add it in the cold? How do I get the hoppiest flavor out of this? What does hoppy mean? Oh, well, yeah, that's a good starting point.
1: So what do you know as a brewer or a grower about your crop? So I ask the brewer, okay. And that's a great question because it's, it's happened to me numerous times. How do I get the most intensity? That's usually what I'll hear. How, how do I get, you know, the most intensity out of it? Well, what, what do you mean intensity? What is it you're looking for? That one is usually, oh, well, I just, you know, want it to be impactful. I want it to be hoppy. So I think what they're referring to is all of the essence of that hop. So if you crush it up and smell it, just the overall aroma, they want all of that in their beer. The answer there is, well, number one, put it on the cold side. Because you don't want any of the bittering compounds to come through. You just want the aroma compounds to come through. And put it in the secondary. Don't put it in the primary fermentation, because good Lord knows what's going to come out the other side. So put it in the secondary and let it sit. And don't hop more than two pounds per barrel actually it would be less and go in like one and a half more is not better so like surly brewing in the u.s here they do like three pounds per barrel and they're just wasting hops because the liquid strict just from a physics standpoint the liquid cannot dissolve and absorb that much aroma compound from those hops and i talked about tom shellhammer earlier he found and through a very very good study that the magic number for hop aroma and hop utilization, so the biggest bang for your buck, is 1.8 pounds per barrel. Brewers think more is better. No, more is not better. You do hit that limit. So that's what I tell them. Those would be my my, my biggies. Put it on the cold side, preferably in the secondary, and at no more than 1.8 or 2 pounds per barrel. And that's as most as, the most that you're going to get from any given beer style.
0: If anyone listening to this is, is interested in the in the science behind that study, um, I will find it and we'll put a link to that with this podcast when we post mm-hmm. it.
1: Yep. And I when I teach this at Siebel, it's just it's great because I can see jaws open. And people are just like, No way, that just that's that's total baloney and then I present them with the data and they're like, Oh.
0: <laughs> Crap. You, you you just saved them some money on their balance sheet.
1: <laughs> right. But it's it's totally contrary to The simple belief, but when we talk about concentrations and liquids and stuff, it's not, it's very counterintuitive because you think about it. You've got a certain amount of space in that liquid to absorb stuff. And at some point, you're going to put more and more stuff in it and it just can't transfer into the liquid because there's no space for it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're dealing with. So then you lose it all, whatever's left of that, you know, let's say 50%. If you're at three pounds per barrel, you're basically only going to be able to use about half of that. You said I can't say it depends. It's this in this case it does depend. That one point eight pounds per barrel, blah blah blah. It will depend heavily on the type of beer that you're making. If you had a very light pale ale that didn't have a lot of stuff dissolved in it, it can probably handle maybe you know a little more than that. But if you were making some crazy th- Belgian quad with you know, dark candy sugar, you know that's really full. That liquid's full of stuff already the likelihood of that liquid being able to absorb more stuff is pretty low. How'd that, that, that work out? I think that yes.
0: works out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And as it is, if you're putting all those other things, flavors, whatever, into it already anyway, how much more hop do you need as well? There's only so many. I, I'd like more. to say there are only so many flavors you can put in something, but you know we've all seen chocolate, marshmallow, gummy bear, banana, stout, mm-hmm. imperials laying right. around out
1: there and certainly in in this case l- less is better mm-hmm. and not just because i think a lot of these heavy beers are unbalanced but it literally is a physical chemistry uh, uh, restraint by by the liquid so
0: <laughs> ah, that's science stuff gets ah, you every science
1: time. gets you every time
0: yep so as always if you have questions Please, please, please post them right on the website with the, um, with the podcast itself. That way everyone can see your questions and we can answer them for, for all of the adoring fans, both of you, to see and learn from.
1: Thanks, Mom. It's your mom and my mom. I know it is. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> my, my listened the other day and said, hey, you're, you're, you're kind of good at this. I said, oh, um, uh, thanks.
1: <laughs> my mom would say, James Richard, watch your language.